This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney. Our guests are Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman. They are the writers, producers, and directors of the movie Nefarious. The opening scene, it's an aerial of a prison. Was that actually a working prison? It was. That's the Oklahoma State Reformatory. At one time, that was the most dangerous and violent prison in the United States. It's still in operation, but it's a little safer now. How did you get the permit to actually fly drones and whatnot over an actual working prison? Well, we actually we filmed inside the prison, and amazingly, we scouted the location. Oklahoma is very film-friendly. We sat down with the warden. He said, there's no way we're ever going to get permission, but I'll ask. And lo and behold, we got permission to shoot inside the wire at the working prison. We were shocked. As for the drone, that might have been a off-the-cuff moment that we told the drone operator to go get some footage without even thinking about it. He probably just flew over the prison. And didn't get and, shot uh, down. And then get shot down, right. Yes, yeah, I guess sometimes you just have to roll the dice and take the chance, huh? Yep, yep, yep. The Christian movies have gotten so good over the last, I don't know, maybe five, six years, and Nefarious has blown it out of the park. What kind of reviews are you getting from throughout the Catholic Church, throughout Christian churches, even from the secular world? Everybody that goes to see it loves it. We have people going back five, six, seven times. The critics and so forth, the established media conglomerates. The media critics hate it beyond belief. The audiences love it. And we actually have the largest spread, I believe, of any film ever. We're down 13% approval by mainstream critics, and we're at 97% from the audience. However, we have gotten some wonderful reviews. Cardinal Burke actually came out and gave an unqualified endorsement of the film, which is very, very unusual. And from conservative and Catholic and Christian sources, we've had just wonderful recommendations. It's a phenomenal movie. People are responding to it because basically we tell the truth. We, we drag the devil out of the darkness and into the light. So it's not so much that they hate the cinematography of the film, they just hate the message. They're looking to shoot the messenger. Honestly, I can say everything that's good is bad to one side. There's a struggle going on. The devil is very frantic to gather souls, and we, we see that in everything, including in the opinions of people as far as the movie goes. One of the actors that's in the film is Sean Patrick Flannery. I was blown away by the skill that he showed in this film. I'm looking at him and listening to his monologues and whatnot, and I was just amazed at how much skill he has. Sean is the best actor we've ever encountered. I believe he's one of the best actors ever. A lot of people are comparing him to Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs and saying that he was even better. I believe if the world was a fair place, Sean would win the Academy Award. But I don't think that will happen because I do not think the other side will basically allow that to happen. They would never, especially the adversary. I just don't see it happening. I don't think anyone who watches this movie has ever seen anything like this performance. It's just absolutely amazing. 
We're talking with Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman from Nefarious, the unbelievable movie. As far as directing, somebody like Sean Patrick Flannery, he had these really great facial tics and sort of stutters. Did you have to direct that or did that come naturally? When you're directing an actor, you talk, you converse, you ahead of time go through everything, but you have to eventually allow them to become the role. You have to turn over the character to them in in large part. A lot of novice directors, they try to micromanage your performance. And what they do then is a lot of times, if the actor is actually willing to try that, they do get the specific actions or motions they're looking for, but they lose the naturalistic feel of the performance. Actors, if they're any good, you got to hire the right actor in the first place, and then you treat them like a thoroughbred. You let them run. All of the actors were really good, but his performance was amazing. Yeah, phenomenal actor. How many hours of filming did you have to do for, it's about a 90-minute film? We did about, I think it was 13 days, which is amazing. Sean and Jordan, who was a psychiatrist, came in to go to work. So like the first scene that you see in the movie where they're in the jail and Jordan is introducing himself, they did 17 pages straight, one take. Really? Impossible. They knew every piece. They did not drop dialogue. They had everything. What we did then was we would move the camera to pick up another angle, so they basically did that same 17 minutes six times in a row. It was absolutely amazing. And, you know, the anointing of the Holy Spirit was on the project. We're two guys from Jersey. We can't write dialogue like that. It was just phenomenal what the Holy Spirit did. And it came on them, came on us. Now, you were just talking about dialogue. One of the lines that just blew me away was, you sack of meat, you think your atheism will protect you. Was that a line that you wrote as part of the screenplay, or was that something that the actors just did themselves? No, we wrote that. We structured that in there. Yeah, we wanted to put that in there. You can intellectually exist as an agnostic, but as far as your practical life is concerned, you will either live as a believer or as a non-believer. And a lot of our society has decided to live as non-believers, and the demons are just fine with that. I heard that you actually had an exorcist on site. Was it for that scene? And can you talk a little bit about having the exorcist there? We had an exorcism trained priest. We have a ministry team. We have a husband and wife evangelical. For the Christians who are not Catholic, we had a priest the whole time there who's exorcism trained. But no, we had that for our protection. And just to give you one of the many, many, many obstacles we faced, the priest, three hours after saying Mass, on a Sunday night was undergoing an emergency appendectomy where his appendix burst during removal. That was during the shooting. And we also had Father Carlos Martins, who is a top exorcist, one of the top exorcists in the world. And he has a podcast by the name of Exorcist Files. And he was on set and actually had to do an exorcism while we were shooting at the premiere because we were having all kind of demonic manifestations. manifestations. But the priest in the film ironically, is the polar opposite of them. What we did was we had a priest written into the script who had kind of ceded his authority. And basically, we wanted to point out that the demon, when there's a possibility of a priest walking in, carrying the authority of Christ, that's the one thing that really scares the demon. But what happens is that in the story, the priest who comes in, who's older, and is kind of a representative of the hippy-dippy-flippy 
extreme from a lot of priests from that age group. He's just, you know, everything's a psychological problem. Demonic possession isn't really a possibility. He poo-poos a lot of it. And as a result, the demon grows very comfortable with his presence. The role was played by an actor, though, right? Not an actual priest? Yes, by an actor, yes. Was there any doubt about keeping or removing some of the political message that the demon states our societies accepted? Was there any part of you that wanted to back off of the message, like abortion and pride issues? No, we deal with that all the time. I mean, that's what we're called to do as Catholics, right? Stand up, carry the cross, march forward. Jesus didn't back off. He wouldn't tell us to back off. As a matter of fact, every time when we pray to Jesus, he tells us to march forward, to go forward, stand courageous put on the armor of God. So no, I believe that we have to confront the issues of today. I think it's one of the problems the church has is that weaker priests, unfortunately, you know, they don't talk about evil. They don't talk about hell. Everything is kumbaya and it's not the way it is. We have an adversary who basically wants to steal everyone's soul and destroy people. We have to become aware that we're in a battle for souls. And if we don't become aware, then that's a great disservice every single man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. So no, we never decided to back up. If anything, we wanted to go further. But we felt that you do pass a point where the movie then would become something other than what we wanted. I think we had the perfect balance. The movie's about the battle for a soul, not about just a political stand. Did any of the cast or the crew decide that it was too much to be involved in the film? No. We had a wonderful team of people. The actors were amazing. We did brief them ahead of time and say to them, look, we're in dark waters here. You need to pray and you need to prepare yourself. And one of the things we told them very, very specifically was don't go to the demonic to get your performance. In other words, don't be tempted to go and reach out. Don't tap into that. Don't tap into that. You know, we didn't tap into that while we were writing it. And Sean, he never did it. Jordan never did it. It was an amazing experience for everybody. Everybody still talks about it. For Sean and for Jordan, how did it go as far as auditions go? Did you know right away that those two guys would be in the film? We go through the process of casting. You know, you go through other people. But deep in our heart, we knew that Sean was the guy because we had worked with him before. We love Sean. I think he's the best actor in Hollywood. I really do. He's the most talented actor we've ever worked with. And he's just got it going on. He's just so good. I mean, he's been in the business for over 30 years. If you have a terrible actor, you're going to pay. One of the things we really needed was an absolute star, an actor. And then when we went for Jordan, Jordan was a last-minute thing. We couldn't actually find somebody that we thought would play well across from Sean. And that was Sean's major concern as well. The great thing about Jordan, though, was he had that look of just being an arrogant doctor who really was oblivious to the sins he had committed. That is exactly why we cast him, because there was a piece of footage on my computer out of nowhere. I said to Chuck, look, this guy's got the look. We put him in a suit. He's going to look like a progressive, intellectually atheist psychiatrist who's really good at what he does. Now let's just hope he can act. And when we put the reel on, sure enough, he was very good. So we, we went immediately for him. To his credit, he allowed himself to portray the vulnerability as the demon starts landing punches against him. He allows his surprise and his shock at a certain level to register and to play and allows us to see that vulnerability, which is great. That's what really works for that role. 
We're talking with Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman. They are the writers and producers and directors of Nefarious, the movie. Not a film for little kids. No, I mean, I would say 13 and older. If you have a 12-year-old who's really mature, I think that it's important that people know at a young age there is a devil. You plant corn early, you get a good crop, right? So the bottom line is you want people to know it, but yeah, no, I wouldn't bring in... This is not a kitty. This is not Little Mermaid. Mm. I think that the biggest thing is the message is it's a Christian message just delivered in a way that we're not used to seeing for Christian movies. Yes. We're in kind of this post-Christian culture right now. So ironically, if a minister or priest were to deliver this same message, no one would listen. So we actually use a demon to preach the gospel. He just preaches it from the other side of the mirror. And he believes every word of scripture. He just despises it. Another great line in the film is there's a great battle going on. We're all participants. And I completely agree with you. The society just doesn't believe that's true. That is the sad reality of what we found out. A lot of people don't even believe in the existence of the devil. Catholics, priests, the devil is very good. The father of lies, but he's also saved in the shadows. What I will say, however, is all the demonic manifestations, everything that's gone on, what Father Carlos Martin said to us, he said, if you can get this movie gets the devil to get off the couch and come attack you, He says, then you've done something good, and you certainly have done that. This is the best movie on exorcism and on the demonic ever made. And this comes from a top exorcist. And from the people that see it, we're getting that reaction. People are saying, I've got to reevaluate my life. We've had conversions in the theater. We've had people freed from demonic possessions and stuff like that. It's been... It's been crazy. The devil is not to be toyed with. And I think one of the best things that your movie does is it reminds us that the Exorcist movie and all the movies where you have vomiting and horns and spinning heads and everything else, that's not typically the way the devil works. He will just be subtly getting involved in your life. I actually saw a sign years ago that, you know, a billboard that I drove by and it said, if you let the devil in for a ride, he's going to want to drive. And that's what's going on in society today. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we're surrounded by all little entry points from people doing demonic tattoos, every demonic movie or TV show, Ouija boards, tarot cards. I mean, we saw something the other day. We were being interviewed and they showed us a Holy Spirit Ouija board. Mm. Evangelical churches are using Ouija boards. And, but they're dressed up as if it's your, it says on the board, talk to Jesus. Mm. And it's such evil. We're surrounded by it. And, you know, between fortune tellers and witchcraft and everything. I mean, the devil's making his move. I think people need to see this movie because this will help them defend themselves and the people that they love. And it will give them the power over the devil in the sense that knowledge is power. We've pulled him out of the darkness and into the light, and we're pointing at him and saying, this is the enemy of mankind, not God. God is not the enemy of mankind. God loves mankind and wants to save mankind. This is the adversary. This is what you should be worried about. And we're having a tremendous reaction, and I think the Lord is using it in a mighty way. Stop thinking that the devil doesn't exist. Streaming has started. On what platforms can the film be streamed? Apple, iTunes. Voodoo. Voodoo. It'll pretty much be anywhere where people stream. 
They want to buy it from an entity whose worldview conforms to their Salem Now. Salem Now. Gio saw the film yesterday, and he wants to tell you his experience. The movie, there's so much to talk about. I absolutely loved it. The cinematography, everything about the movie was just so well done. I noticed everything from the sound design really made it so immersive. This was amazing what you guys did. I absolutely loved it. It really gave me that jolt I needed to really revive my faith and everything. My immediate reaction to seeing it, I just went straight to church. I'm really hoping, praying that so many people are brought closer to God through this. This was a really kind of wake-up call movie to spiritual warfare and just the spiritual battle that's going on that is so ingrained in just the culture and everything. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the comments. We appreciate it. Have you heard a lot of people returning to the pews? Yeah, people are deeply affected. There's a passion piece that we did for the Lord. I know a girl out of Denver she basically called me and said, I've gone 10 times, and every time I watch it, I learn something new, and I just keep bringing people to it, because a lot of them are scared, and then I tell them, no, you have nothing to be scared of, I'll go with you, you'll see. And she's gone 10 times. Will there be a part two? I believe that there will be, you know, we have to pray, we gotta find out if the Lord wants it, but we're thinking of doing a TV show, actually. A lot of Hollywood movies nowadays, they kind of take witchcraft and even things with werewolves and things like that, and they make that sort of mainstream. What do you have to say with entertainment like that? I think it's evil. These demonic, satanic movies where they make the demonic attractive or sexually appealing. A vampire movie, for example, which is maybe not demonic, but it's still, they make the vampire loving and caring, and this is a good thing. This is a person that sucks people's blood and basically kills them, right? Werewolf movies. I mean, this is, this is just what the devil does. He takes what's good and makes it bad, and what's bad and makes it good. But the problem is people are so gullible in a movie theater. Something happens with the movie theater or on TV that people let down their guard and they watch this stuff. Hollywood is conditioning them to basically, in the long run, worship the devil. Guys, good luck with the streaming and everything, and we enjoyed the film. Thank you so much. All right, God bless you guys. Our guests were Carrie Solomon and Chuck Gonzelman, the writers, producers, and directors of Nefarious. And this is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today is Father John Hollowell from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Father, several years ago as a deacon, I led a holy hour for victims of abuse. Not that that wasn't great, and so many clergy around the world did the same thing, but you went so far beyond by offering in prayer to suffer for the victims of clergy abuse. And shortly after, you received a cross beginning with a seizure. So can you tell us about those first early symptoms and what eventually were you diagnosed with? made a prayer in early January of 2019 if there was anything I could do to suffer for the victims of Catholic clergy sexual abuse that I would be willing to do that and then about a month later I had what would 
turn out to be my first seizure from a brain tumor. Uh, it took about another year or so for them to figure out exactly what was going on. I w eventually was up at the Mayo Clinic and received the diagnosis of a brain tumor on the feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes in 2020 and got to have Mass that night in the chapel called Our Lady of Lourdes. The Mayo Clinic is a joint partnership. The, the Franciscan sisters up there in the 1880s, the head abbess had a vision of Jesus telling this abbess to go into Rochester, downtown Rochester, and to find a Dr. Mayo. So she did that, and the Franciscan sisters then actually served as the initial nurses for the Mayo Clinic, and St. Mary's Hospital was the first Mayo Clinic, and that's still standing. And so basically, long story short, is that I got to have Mass the night I found out in the chapel of Our Lady of Lourdes as well. What was that like? You had to be very emotional. Were you scared? I wasn't scared. I mean, as soon as the word brain tumor came out of the neurosurgeon's mouth, I knew instantly that that was the answer to a prayer that I had made back in 2019. So yeah, I wasn't scared at all for some reason. I, I should have been, but for some reason I was not. Now during your treatments, the cross became heavier and heavier and you had some pretty horribly dark places at times. Yeah, the side effects of the chemo and the radiation are pretty wicked. So there was anxiety and depression were some of the side effects from the chemo. So I experienced those for nine months. And then also there was just a whole series of basically, while I was still up at the Mayo Clinic, about four weeks after the initial brain surgery, there was an infection. So they had to go in and take out that piece of my skull they had cut because once they cut the skull, there's just no way for blood to flow back in. So they had to take out that piece of the skull and then figure out what bacteria was on my brain and then had to get a six-week dose of daily antibiotics to treat that. And then after that, they had to go back up again. They put a metal plate in my head and then started on radiation and then chemo for nine months. Was there ever a time where you regretted offering to carry the cross? Did you ever want to give it back? I can't say that I did. There were definitely times where, like I said, there was anxiety and depression going on at like the same time, which I would have never thought possible until I went through it. But yeah, even then I recognized that what I was doing, that's a really unique teaching I think to Catholicism is that our suffering can always help both us and anybody that we're offering that suffering up for. And so that gave a lot of purpose, an infinite purpose to my suffering. We're talking with Father John Hollowell. Father, how did the tumors affect how you celebrated Mass and preached? Yeah, the, um, basically after I had the surgery, so I had the surgery about two days before COVID hit, my initial surgery. So COVID hit, when I had the first surgery, it was about 18 hours, and my neurosurgeon up at the Mayo Clinic told me that it would take about five days for me to wake up. It would take another five days for me to regain the movement on the right side of my body. And that was exactly what happened. But my first memories were the nurses coming in and telling my parents that the visiting hours were getting more and more restricted. And so that then, once I realized that all the Catholic masses in the country had been shut down and no one was allowed in any Catholic churches, my priority kind of pretty quickly became getting back and having mass, at least on social media, for my people as quickly as possible and actually even got to have my first mass and had it in the hospital bathroom. My room had its own bathroom and so I had that first mass on March 25th which was one of my parish's feast days. 
So that was a really special thing to be able to have that first Mass. And then I just started also praying the daily office of the readings and all the liturgy, the hours, and a public rosary on social media as well. And so, yeah, it was great. So early last year, everyone was hoping that you were done with treatments, but that was not the case, was it? Yeah, no, there was a MRI in March of 2022 that showed that the tumor had started to grow back and had spread to my pituitary gland. And I I was at total peace, you know, with dying, if that was God's will. But I thought, well, I got the diagnosis on the feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes. I got to have Mass that night in the chapel of Our Lady of Lourdes. So if I go to Lourdes and I'm healed there, that might draw some people, family members, and people living in my parish boundaries who have fallen away from the Catholic Church back to the Catholic Church. And so I went there, and there really isn't any pain associated with the brain tumor. So it took me a while before I got back from Lourdes to realize that I had been healed there. But um, the subsequent MRI, I had an MRI about two weeks after I got back from Lourdes, and then they told me I didn't need to come back for four months. And I didn't really think to even ask why at that point. But then when I came back for the four-month MRI, they said the tumor is gone and it might never come back. And all that's left is scar tissue from the surgeries. So... At that point, were you going through any sort of radiation, any sort of treatments other than going to Lourdes? No, no. So no scientific explanation for as to why the tumors were gone? No. Mm -mm. The medical bureau that investigates miracles at Lourdes actually reached out to me because I had posted a video that had spread around the world in like a day. (laughs) So, So Lourdes got that video and then they reached out to the Archdiocese of Indianapolis saying, we're getting a lot of inquiries about this father, John Hollowell, but we don't have any idea who he is. And so basically, long story short, is that I've started the miracle verification process that they require for verifying miracles, and it's about like a seven-year process. But, I mean, I I know I'm healed, but I'm also more than willing to go through their process as well. Has anything changed as far as how you celebrate Mass back when you were sick versus today? I think when I was going through chemo, that gave me like an opportunity to just have like private mass because I mean, I just stayed in my friend Father Meyer's rectory basically for about nine months. And so that really gave me a chance to pray the first Eucharistic prayer, like really slowly and intentionally. And the first Eucharistic prayer, you know, has these places where you can put people's names in for the intentions. And I just found that to be like, that's basically the same thing as I celebrate mass now is just... The Mass was really central to my spirituality, but it's just become one of the main things in my life, even more so now that I'm praying it more slowly and more intentionally. We're talking with Father John Hollowell from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. So, Father, you were so willing to take the pain of those victims of clergy abuse. Have any of the victims reached out to you? Yes. I took about 170 names of victims into the Mayo Clinic for the first surgery. I posted that right when I got the diagnosis. The next day I posted my intentions on the blog and also I had social media accounts at that point. So I also shared that to them, to my various social media accounts. And so that kind of went Catholic viral. And so then I had victims reaching out to me. And so I took about 170 names of victims 
into those first surgeries and was able to communicate with them before the surgeries and just hear more about them and their stories. And anyway, and then over the last couple of years since the surgery, I've heard from about 30 or 40 more victims. And so I also try to communicate with them as much as possible. And yeah, just develop a relationship with them as much as possible. So I told all of the victims when I was going in that I didn't expect anything. Like I didn't expect my brain tumor to help them get over what a priest did to them. But I think a lot of them did say that they appreciated my willingness to like offer up my suffering for them. Not only your suffering, but just the fact that you are listening to them has to go a long way as well. Yeah, I think that that's definitely one of the things that they also said, you know, that they appreciated was just that someone was out there willing to listen to them. And I don't think any diocese is like in the position to have that sort of thing. But I, as a priest, am in a unique position to offer that up, suffering up for another other victims, and, and I'm just glad that um, that that story is spreading around, not for my own glory, but just that more and more victims know that someone is out there listening to them and suffering for them. Our guest today has been Father John Hollowell from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.